0: Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry. Namely, the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Furminger, And today, I am delighted to welcome Kamala Todd to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Kamala Todd is a Métis Cree community planner, educator, curator, and filmmaker. If the last name Todd sparks something in you, it is likely because her mother, Filmmaker Loretta Todd, Loretta Sarah Todd, appeared on this podcast when her beloved feature film Monkey Beach opened the 2020 Vancouver International Film Festival. Now, I've interviewed Loretta many times over the years and was already scheduled to speak with her when I received an email from Kamala suggesting her mother as a guest on the show, which is so beautiful and so supportive. And if my own daughter is listening, Mariana, I expect similar acts of love from you in the future. But what a gift it was to discover that Kamala is an accomplished storyteller and community organizer in her own right, whose work not only elevates and amplifies Indigenous stories, but empowers others to find and use their voices. For six years, Kamala was the city of Vancouver's Aboriginal social planner, where she created StoryScapes, a community arts and storytelling project to help bring greater recognition for the many diverse stories of Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil and urban Indigenous people in Vancouver. This included a partnership with the National Film Board of Canada to create Our City, Our Voices, an oral history video project recording Indigenous stories with youth and elders, as well as residents in the downtown east side. Kamala's film credits include Indigenous Plant Diva, which incidentally I watched, and now when I walk through Vancouver, I look at all of the bushes and plants in such a different way, because it, so many of them have healing powers. Also, Cedar and Bamboo, re-la, Living Indigenous Laws, and Sharing Our Stories, the Vancouver Dialogues Project. She has also written and directed for children's television, including the many LEO award-winning Indigenous science series, Coyote's Crazy Smart Science Show, and the Cree language series, Nehiyawetan, Nehiyawetan, did I say that correctly? Mm -hmm. Okay, she's nodding. I did, I did. Mm -hmm. Nehiya Waitan, both on APTN. She created a video series about Indigenous law for UVic's Indigenous Law Research Unit and Welcome to Our Homelands for Immigrant Services Society of BC. The latter extends a welcoming message to newcomers to Canada, as well as a glimpse into Indigenous history in Canada that serves as a jumping off point for further learning. This biography is only scratching the surface, the TLDR, TLDR, as the kids say, is that Kamala's work is important. It contributes to dismantling white supremacy through the sharing of stories that ultimately bring people together. There's so much to talk about. So let's get started. Kamala Todd. Welcome, welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. (laughs) Thank you. What an amazing uh, little summary there. And thank you for all your kind
1: words. It's amazing to kind of look back and reflect on some of those projects and see that as sort of an arc as you've, have you put it together? So thank you for that.
0: Yes, there, there, there is a, there is an arc. And I definitely saw that, that kind of the thread of helping people tell their stories and that there's a power in, in people telling their stories, you know, not telling stories for other people, you know, but, but to, to elevate and to amplify those stories. So I, I would love to talk about that thread then. Um, let's begin by talking about the power of film as far as elevating and amplifying Indigenous stories, uh, What sure. what what is the power in in that? And what is your goal, you know, when you set about doing this work?
1: Well, if I could just give a little bit of sort of how it came to be that I worked in film and television, because um, it's kind of, it def- definitely involves my mother, who you've already mentioned, um, and, and the influence that she's had on me. Um for you know, as a kid when well, teenager, when she was um, going to film school, you know, and then became a filmmaker like immediately, um, starting to do really emp- really empowering, impactful work. You know, with things that really hadn't been talked about in terms of the residential schools, for example, you know, her film the learning path, it was like nobody was talking about residential schools in in a broad, you know, um, mainstream way. Mm. So to have her, you know do this story that that didn't just focus on the trauma, but that focused on the work that indigenous educators were doing to you know reclaim and strengthen um, you know indigenous sovereignty over knowledge and and sharing that knowledge. And then also you know looking at the work that people were doing even at that time to to heal from the traumas. You know so I started getting a pretty strong sense of, of the impacts of that and and her obvious deliberate choice to tell stories that people weren't talking about that were to disrupt you know the idea about how good and decent Canada is um, and so also the Native war veterans story which was her next big documentary um, that also highlighted, you know, that Indigenous people voluntarily, you know, went off to war, even though they weren't citizens on their own lands. And even though they were treated like garbage on their own lands and also um, faced the same kinds of discrimination when they came back and the nuances of that, you know, I learned so much from that. And so I, I got a sense of the power of that kind of storytelling and also how she did those stories, but with her own... She does it with her own craft, you know, mm-hmm. her own approach um, at a time when NFB was kind of, like, more or less straightforward documentaries. yeah. <laughs> and so... But for me, it was, like, well, that's not my thing,
0: you know. Yeah.
1: I, I didn't really necessarily know what my thing was, although I kind of thought politics. But um, everybody was always, like, oh, you're going to be a filmmaker like your mom. And, and I was, like, no, I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, and I remember she, she told me you know or Leonard George actually the late Leonard George from the waututh Nation son of Chief Dan George mm. you know who both were very involved in in film and television you know he tells us he told a story of how he and my mother who who were both very you know um active in native rights in the 80s um that was sort of her approach at that t- time was the more political side but they sat around and they talked about like what are the different sources of oppression for indigenous people and it was like Church, government, you know, the educational system, but also Hollywood, and that's mm. where you know they both would have take knew the importance of taking on Hollywood, and like you said, you know, the images and the stereotypes, and making sure that that our stories and our voices were there, um, you know, told from from within. And so I guess it was kind of inevitable that as I got involved in community planning, which is looking at you know, how we live on the land, how we understand the land, how we understand our place on the land, especially for, for settlers, newcomers, colonizers, um, you know, I started to realize my mom brought me into a film, a TV show um, about Tsleil-Waututh and their, um, their treaty process. Mm -hmm. From that point on, I was like, okay, this, I can see this as a really powerful tool. So I would say that my role, you know, whereas my mom is like a capital F filmmaker who, you know, went to film school, who has the craft and the vision and, you know, the artistry of that um, for myself, I guess I, you know, not in a utilitarian way or an exploitative way, but I just really recognize that people want, like you said, they want their story to be heard they want it they want to be seen um and so film is a really powerful way to do that yeah and that has been my focus yeah like stories of these of these lands because and we can get into that conversation the whole kind of colonial narrative of vancouver and canada has completely erased um not only the thousands of years of continuity of the first people but also the truths of the the violence and the ongoing um you know, theft and an erasure um, that's happening here.
0: You use the words uh, disruption uh, or, or you, you said something on the lines of, um, that the goal of the work was to uh, disrupt this idea that Canada was uh, this this a good and polite place, you know, this idea that Canada, um, that a lot of Canadians, you know, hold so close, you know, or have held so close until very recently, um, that, that we're Canada the good, you know, we're, we're the good ones. And we have literally like the neighbors that are kind of crazy and kooky and they all love their guns, but we're the good ones. Can, yeah. can you, can you speak to you know what is the danger of that belief system you know that misconception and 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 how how do you see that it's that it's um been supported you know by the media that's been put out there
1: mm-hmm. yeah, so I spend a lot of time exploring reading researching and finding um the sort of dominant narratives, which includes, you know, video and, and television and graphic design and all the different ways that, in, in particular, Vancouver is staged, because it really is staged, you know, like since Expo and the Olympics and the sort of world-class city thing, this place, right, is very much staged, um, you know, as a, as a sparkling, shiny, civilized, progressive place um, and that's definitely part of the kind of Canadian narrative as well, that basically um, the, the wilds of, of these lands were civilized um, and made into this progressive, democratic, you know, peacekeeping country. And the danger of that narrative is not only, um, you know, um, ignoring the fact that these lands you know have been occupied and loved and cared for and um, owned in the, in a different sense than the capitalist idea of owned um, uh, for you know millennia yeah. and 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 what that looks like and what how we're supposed to live here and what our stories and teachings and languages are so it ignores all of that it either puts it as um, a, f- a footnote you know as prehistoric. Um, or as irrelevant, or as destined to die out, um, you know, all of those different ways that that the the truths of the ongoing presence of Indigenous people are kind of um, pushed aside. Um, so it pretends that this is a white country, which is still the image of Canada, that it's a white country founded by white men and and maintained, um, generally speaking, by that same dominant culture who wrote, wrote the laws and. You know um, created the boundaries and named things so it creates those mythologies which are harmful because <laughs> in addition to the first people you know people from Asia and other parts of the world also have deep roots here in terms of you know settlement and and um, coming here and trading and so on so it also obscures those truths of mm-hmm. who helped build this place um, and, or who is, you know, the, the idea that the most entitled or the most supreme um, kind of founding culture of, of Canada is is the Anglo and, to some degree, a little bit of French in there. Um, and But the other danger of that is also that it downplays or obscures or ignores or even uh, like, excuses um, genocide. So the whole history of... You know the mass deaths of people to smallpox and tuberculosis and other diseases um you know the the displacement of people the forced removal people from their lands um you know and all the other you know legislative stuff we we know about or are learning about in terms of you know banning uh ceremonies and making things illegal not allowing people to participate in this new culture even if they wanted to you know that whole history and the residential schools, all of it. It kind of um, downplays that or acts like, well, you know, that was sort of destined to happen in as part of progress. Um, and we need to rewrite that story. And, you know, there's people out there like Conrad Black and other racist colonizers who are still telling that story as if we had nothing and we had and, you know, our ancestors had nothing. And, you know, this is an improvement. Canada taking over and, you know, pushing people aside is an improvement, and we need to be proud of that. And uh, I reject that idea, of course.
0: One of the things that kind of brought you top of mind recently, I can I even note the day, it was June 21st, oh, it was yeah. Indigenous Peoples Day, is because Immigrant Services Society, who... I am a longtime supporter of my daughter every year organizes uh, uh, various tour drives and hygiene product drives for uh, Mm -hmm. recently arrived refugees. So that is an organization that I will have links to everything we're talking about uh, in the footnotes for this episode, but that's an organization that it serves they serve newcomers. They serve recently arrived immigrants and recently arrived refugees uh, and provide a whole wealth of, of support. Uh, so on Indigenous Peoples Day though, they they tweeted out uh, a, a short film. That's how I like to describe it because it is, it's a short film called uh, Welcome to Our Homelands, uh, which is, it's wonderful because it, it contains Uh, welcome messages of welcome uh, from uh, multiple uh, different nations you know on this land and also offers uh, a a glimpse into the history and it's not it's not all you know through the rose-colored glasses it's like no this is a this is a challenging history uh and that that you know that exists between you know uh, settlers colonizers and indigenous people and indigenous people are living still you know living through the the impact of you know residential schools and and um and it's a I mean it's a packs a lot I mean honestly I think that people who have lived here you know settlers who have lived here for generations would be served by watching this video as well, because, you know, as, 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 as I read somewhere, it does, this video is a jumping off point for further learning. It, it provides context. Um, So, and I was like, oh, that's incredible. Who made that? And I'm like, it's Kamala. That's awesome. I'm going to reach out. So what, what was, what was the, what was your goal with that, that project? Uh, And what kind of challenges did you face? You know, deciding what kind of of message message you wanted to to give in that and story that you wanted to tell, because I mean, ultimately, it's it does feel like a very community building thing as well. You know, because for me, it felt like you know, yes, well, welcome welcome to this land, and you know, this this is what you're you're walking into. This is yeah. what has happened, but you know, I we also like we we can work together. You know, to 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 coexist. And I thought that that was rather like it was it was lovely but i also was like wow that must have been a really difficult balance to try Mm -hmm. to to try to hit so bring us be pull back the curtain please sure (laughs) sure thank you
1: yeah it's a wow it's a and i'm actually working on it now because again because there's um been doing translation into six languages so that's exciting that it will be more accessible So, yeah, it actually is, to me, it's very linked to the Dialogues project that I got to work on at the City of Vancouver as well. And, you know, hearing years ago, um, some of the meetings I would go to through my work at the city, hearing elders saying, you know, when newcomers come here, they're not told, they don't know the history, and so they just insert themselves, you know, or they get inserted into that same dominant narrative of Canada. Um, because, of course, in the citizenship ceremony or in any kind of research or, you know, main resources that they might access, you know, generally speaking, there's not a lot that talks about the truths of Canada, um, both the, you know, the colonial violence, but also the the richness and depth um, and ongoing continuity of Indigenous people across the whole country. And so, yeah, that recognition of, like, how do we reach people when they first arrive so that they have a better understanding? And yes, even, you know, people born here and many generations here also need to know this, this history and these truths. Um, so the dialogues project was really about that as well is building that understanding and sharing stories and helping people to really, um, hopefully transform their understanding and their preconceptions about Canada um, and indigenous people as well. And so I guess because of that work, um, Chris Friesen from ISS, the BC, approached me and said, you know, we'd really like to do this video that that does provide a welcome, you know, from, but from an Indigenous perspective. And so I was like, yeah, sure. But then it's like, oh, my goodness, what a daunting, huge responsibility this is. And, is you know, is it really my place to do this? Yeah. Um, but yes, I thought, well, it, I think some people involved in the project might've thought that it was just a welcome and different languages and just kind of like, hello, this is, you know, who we are. Um, but of course I had to make sure that I talked about some, you know, at least somewhat about the truth and the ongoing, the
0: truth,
1: yeah. yeah, impacts of, of colonization. Um, but of course, originally it was like supposed to be three to five minutes, but there's no way you can do that. Um, and then also trying to capture the the breadth of of these lands the beauty of of these lands um and the breadth and and beauty of you know the hundreds of distinct nations um from here without a budget for travel (laughs) so um luckily you know nowadays uh, you can reach out to people and so i reached out to people in different parts of the country and just said, you know, are you able to share some, some visual content from your lands? Um, and I was able to get a little bit from Manitoba, a little bit from up North. Um, and then uh, Michelle, silly boy who who's Mi'kmaq who recently moved back to um, her territory has then, um, you know, recorded a greeting in her language. And she's very involved in revitalization of her language um, and also captured some drone footage so you know there was different ways that I was able to try um, and then also you know now there's a lot of content online that you can access I mean of course it would have been amazing to go out and capture it all fresh but it wasn't the the nature of of the budget didn't allow but then, in terms of the greetings as well, you know, it was like trying to capture a bit of a diversity because I work so much here on the West Coast. I wanted to make sure that we also had people from, you know, further east. Um, and people were so generous in, in setting up the camera themselves and recording it and, and sending it to me.
0: Wow. Um, yeah. That
1: was I didn't great. realize. I mean, you can't
0: tell. I had no <laughs> idea. I had no idea that it was like it was everybody was like, you know, DIY helping out recording that. That, yeah. that is, That's incredible. So yeah, they're what, really generous, and even like Tracy
1: Bono from
0: um, from the interior,
1: you know, she's also a filmmaker, so she did her greeting and then also got footage for me, and just you know, people are just so generous.
0: Yeah. So, what kind of feedback then did you, have you heard? I mean, if any at all from from you know the the people arriving in in Canada who have a chance to, you know, to w- watch, Welcome to Our Homelands.
1: Well, I'm not as. Sh- Sure, about the kind of general audience um, feedback. Um, I know from when I was first working on it in the drafts, there was kind of like a mixed response where um, some people felt it was too harsh because I was showing photos of oil sands and like the destruction of the land. Um, They thought it was too negative. And then there's other people who felt I was being too rosy in terms of, you know, Canada has apologized and now everything, you know. So, again, like you're saying like that, how do you balance that was really challenging. And knowing that you can't, you know, um, you can't do it all in the six minutes, but also, um, yeah, you're wanting to kind of welcome people in and, and have them understand where they're coming to, you um, the ISS also decided because it's quite complex and the, the ideas and the, you know, if you don't have any of the background, it's hard to really put it all together. So they hired Corey Wilson to, um, to do um, like a learning guide. And so that I think has, has probably been really useful um, for, for ISS to work with clients and for people who are maybe watching it from, from overseas before they come here yeah. um, to hopefully do that learning.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, I'm not sure uh, I'd, like, I'd like to know where that's at. you know I'm glad yeah. that it still has a life of its own. Um, I but, feel like yeah. we're
0: in a we're in a state of um and I don't know if you feel this the same way. I'm really interested in your thoughts on this, but it feels like we're in a moment of flux uh, in so- insofar as people who have not maybe even thought about this. In the past, are thinking, are learning the truth. I mean, we're talking a lot about truth. They're learning the truth now. The truth that they have, they have. I would say, willfully, not, not seen, because it's all been out there. Yeah, you know, it's people are living it. Yeah, and 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 we're we're yeah, pe- people are, are, this is, this is reality, but, but do you, like, what, what do you think about this particular, you know, moment in, in history? And, and do you think that we have reached a point where, like, uh, like that there's no going back now, we're going to walk further into the truth and, and, you know, cause truth can't, I mean, truth can Yes, it can re-traumatize it can traumatize, but it also it's it's so freeing as mm-hmm. well that it's that it's out there. It can it you know, when it's a when it's a secret or when people refuse to to see it, like that's when violence really happens, right? Mm-hmm. So, so what do you what do you think about this moment in time?
1: Yeah, I think it uh, like there are so many people who like you say it's willful in many ways even just in the sense that you know, the proud Canadian idea. And I I totally just, I want to say that I totally understand for newcomers or immigrants who have found a safe home here and love this land and feel so, you know, grateful that they can be here. I can see why they would have that pride in being part of Canada. And I don't want to take that away from anybody. Mm. Uh, But that kind of more, you know, mainstream, proud Canadian who just wants to be comfortable and enjoy you know their lifestyle and they don't necessarily want to face and i'm I'm talking yes about white canadians who are descended from that history um you know and who have benefited from the dominant culture that you know has been established here and and serving them basically meant to serve them and yeah so people who who just want to enjoy their their lifestyle here and they don't want to have to contend with any you know like How many people, where I live on the Sunshine Coast, people who get to enjoy these homes in the forest or on the water, you know, ever think about the fact that the original people of these lands don't get to enjoy that here? You know, they're on reserve or in the city. Um, And is there a way that they can give back because they made money off of these lands or they, you know, they're doing an Airbnb and they're making, you know, thousands of dollars a month off of these lands? And just that sense of like, Okay. Yes, I didn't do this, but I'm part of that displacement, and I'm part of enjoying the benefits of these lands um, while the first people cannot. Mm. Do they think about the fact that yes, the residents? So I think for some people, facing the, the truth of the residential school system and the 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 deaths and murder of of children, maybe are starting to wake up and you know have to face. But I think they can still think that it's just the church, or that it's in the past, and so I think that they, people need to widen their scope to understand that it was the you know the massive um, deaths you know Haida Gwaii, ninety over ninety percent of their population died from smallpox you know to understand that the whole making of this country was based on that that death that loss and it's still affecting people. And so you can't kind of be like well that was then this is now get over it the usual thing you hear um if you if you finally can face the truth that making this that i'm enjoying was was all part of that kind of death and loss and you know also the racism and all the policies so people who have been telling stories through film and documentary and you know trying to to show people either hey, this is what's going on and it's still affecting us. Or, hey, we're actually, you know, um, we deserve a, a seat at the table. We have lots to offer. You know, um, we've been ignored or written out of the story for so long. You know, I think those things will help. Um, and let's face it, social media is, is really helping with that too. Hmm. I see, yeah, I see a lot of my friends who normally are, you know, silent about these things, at least sharing more about, because I guess this is one place that hits people a little closer to home. It's like children. Yeah. You know, but I still think we have a ways to go in widening the, an understanding of, of everything that's involved in this, that it it's a project. It was an on, you know, a deliberate genocidal project to take over someone else's lands and all of that's involved in that, you know, or to force assimilation and, um, yeah, so it's like the resistance of showing, no, this is who we are. Uh, we're still here, and we have not, we don't need to give up or apologize or, um, re, you know, abandon, um, you know, our cultures and our histories, and also, um, you know, making this country has has hurt us. So, yeah, I hope, I hope, I hope people don't kind of just put it aside, you know. I hope it does generate a really deep truth telling and looking at ourselves you
0: know face to face yeah, and sitting in discomfort you yeah. know like i like i I've, I've been thinking a lot about um what it means to actually you know do the work of you know um if if you are a white person and you're working to like dismantle white supremacy and um to to decolonize yourself and to like what is that what does that actually mean, and a lot of it is just to to sit in discomfort, you know, like I don't think that there's any kind of way that you can you can look at all that and and f- like if you look at all of it and you still feel comfortable at the end, then you haven't been looking hard yeah. enough yeah. um but what well, what what kind of conversations like you know, you you create your work and you you put it out into the universe. You know, um, and and then you you know, you hope people are going to talk about it. Like, what what kind of conversations um would you like to inspire? Like, are you, or or are you excited to inspire? You know, with your with your work. Mm-hmm. Or emotions? Well, that- would you like people to have too? You know, like yeah. what kind of emotions would you like people to sit in?
1: Yeah. I think um, so. From the very beginning, it's it's recognizing that, like, even for my own learning, because you know I was born here. I've always been aware of the fact that everywhere I go, it's native land. You know, everywhere I've always known that, but I didn't know, and I still don't know um, the specificity of the stories of where I live. Mm-hmm. The specific specificity of like whose lands I'm on, their language, you know, all of their, their laws, their traditions and so on. I mean, I'm certainly learning and the people of these lands are really generous with that. And of course, some of it's not for me to learn anyway. Um, And then also the specificity of the history of this place of what happened here, like, where were the residential schools, you know, where were the, um, the sites where people were forcibly removed and that kind of thing. And so in my own learning, you know, I'll have this kind of, like, I grew up learning the kind of romantic story of Vancouver, you know, 1886 and the Great Fire and Gassy Jack and the usual story you hear that totally, you know, um, neutralizes um, any of that harmful, violent history and um, normalizes that this was a place founded by white men and maintained by white men, basically. And so in my learning of like the Great Fire and how it was actually Squamish people across the water who were involved in a ceremony at the time who saw the flames, jumped in their canoes, came over and rescued people and brought them back to safety across Mm. the water. It's like, what? (laughs) That happened? And that's like a huge part of the history of, you know, since um, incorporation and also a history of, like, you know, taking care of each other and, and the host nations being kind and, and generous. And you don't hear that story. Mm. I mean, slowly it's starting to come out. But, you know, that, that was written out of the story. Um, you know, all the different things that I've started to learn, it's like, ugh. And that's where I know in planning that you need to know the stories of the land before you make decisions for those lands. And ideally once you know, oh, this is Sliwa Tooth land or this is Musqueam land, then you go, oh, okay, they should be involved in shaping the planning. Mm-hmm. So my whole my whole thing is disrupting the dominant narratives of Vancouver in this case, most of my work, so that people don't continue to make decisions for these lands or live here oblivious. Um, to the truths, and you know, so that they always know. Oh, I'm on Musqueam, Squamish, and, and Slavitude waututh lands. That means something, and yeah. I need to know what that means. And and I saw it happening. I saw that the stories we were gathering, that people were sharing, were transforming the planners who I was working with, transforming their understanding of different neighborhoods. Mm. So, like in Marpole and Southern South Vancouver there's Setsnam, which is a huge village, which is where, you know, Musqueam ancestors have been disturbed for years yeah. because people ignored that history and that truth. Um, but now, hopefully, gradually, the planners who are responsible for the Marple community plan, um, you know, there's been a film about Setsnam, there's been all kinds of videos about El-Maya
0: it. feathers Tailfeathers, Setsnam, right. the city before the city. Yes. That's right.
1: So her telling that story helps to disrupt that that erasure, but also to say, hey, this is, you know, who we are. This is what this place is. And then hopefully um, change um, decision-making approaches to that place and also how people live there. So every video that I've ever done, I, I, I am just always so happy when somebody like Larry Grant from Musqueam, um, you know, uh, says in a really clear, strong way, we have always been here and so I want people to know like Vancouver is not a hundred and so odd years old it's thousands of years old and you need to know you know and so the visibility and the voice and and then also like with Indigenous Planet Diva um, you know I did that one and then Ke- Kevin Burton did Writing the Land with Larry Grant which was about uh, the Hunkameenam language is another way of showing people like look at the, con- the thousands of years of continuity here you know this plant Knowledge continues even in the city. This, you know, connection to language continues even in the city. And so, hoping that people, and then through the the law videos that are done, same idea. It's like the people of those places have legal traditions that are thousands of years old, and they've been ignored or forgotten or swept aside. And so, you need to understand that those are the actual laws of the land, and and hopefully, people will start following them um and so it's just ways like, yeah to to disrupt the dominant narrative and the erasure and um to help people understand um you know the depth and brilliance of brilliance of indigenous knowledge and and planning traditions and legal traditions and governance and everything that goes with you know any society
0: yeah there is so much there and as far as as your films i will include links to as many of them as possible in the footnotes for this episode, uh, because I, they will. I mean, even even just Indigenous Plantiva, it will change how you walk around the city. It absolutely will. Um, it packs a lot into its, I think it's like eight minutes, eight, yes. nine minutes running time. Yeah. Uh, is there anything that you're working on right now that you can tell us about?
1: Sure, yeah, um, definitely. Uh, supporting coyote science, uh, in small ways here and there. Um, mostly the hacks <laughs> I've been working on the hacks, uh, since season one, um, with my mom and my sons and even my dad, cause he's, he's kind of got a science uh, background. Um, and so we just kind of look at different ways to inspire kids at different things that they can do. And so I mostly just edit those together. Your and-
0: family dinners must be something else, <laughs> eh? Like, <Yeah. laughs> just talking or t- sitting down and every- everybody's talking about science and trying to figure stuff out. You know, yes. like it's, uh, it's my-, my family, we just well. have the Simpsons on in the background. <laughs> well, um, we don't have a lot, li- yeah, <laughs> especially nowadays, but we,
1: we try. Yeah. Um, but then the um, city of Burnaby has um, asked me to, to do a kind of a training video for their staff, which is again about, you know, helping people understand that there's, you know, wh- whose lands they are and the relationship that Burnaby is developing with the local rights and title holders, the, the nations, um, and kind of like the why, because I think for some people they go, oh, we have to do reconciliation just because they have to, but they don't necessarily understand the why and so um, i'm going to be interviewing people from, from the local first nations about you know their connection to the lands that are now called burnaby and um,
0: the why to what they want people to know that's so yeah. interesting that that yeah. people can't figure out why we need to have truth and reconciliation what what like what, what do you what do you how do you even answer that I know tell I, think, them. I think again it's for some people it's because they've been told they
1: have to and I really think people just want to continue on this trajectory that they've always been on and or they think like oh first nation stuff is first nation stuff and so okay we'll, we'll do that over here as opposed to recognizing that the cities that they're part of um, you know that they work for in the case of planners are part of you know the genocidal project they're part of that uh, you know taking over and imposing new laws and displacing people um you know getting getting the language you know almost extinct and all of those things they're part of that and so it's like how do you help people and i've seen it i've seen those just happen i've seen people who kind of think like oh that's a first nations thing we you know we don't really do that that's federal or r- reserve stuff to like oh right like these are their lands (laughs) and I think people think cities um, are non-native places and so it's like helping people remember that all cities and that's why my company is called Indigenous City Media is because my whole focus is like even in the most urbanized area in North America you are on Indigenous land and what does that mean and you know what are the stories and and how do how does learning those stories help transform our understanding of the places we're in and also how we should live on those places going forward
0: kamala todd where can our listeners find you follow you celebrate you on social media or on the interwebs um well
1: my vimeo channel is just kamala todd it's where most of my i think all my work is and then indigenous city media on facebook um, I am on Twitter a little bit, uh, at Cam Jazz Todd, um, K-A-M-J-A-S Todd, because my middle name is Jasmine. I love that. Um, yeah, but I'm not very active on Instagram or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, I, I just keep compiling the videos on, on Vimeo and Indigenous City Media on Facebook, and always love to hear from people and um, collaborate with people, especially on you know, connecting to the rights and title holders of the lands and how they want their stories to be known and and those kinds of things.
0: That is wonderful. And I will have links to everything that Kamala just mentioned uh, in the footnotes for this episode. Thank you again. Uh, Thank you also to our listeners. Please like, subscribe. Leave us a review if you are so inclined. They help us keep the conversation going and also help us find even more listeners. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at yvrscreenscene. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by myself, Sabrina Ronnie Firminger, and it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane Not-Furminger-devilet for the original music. Yes, we are a family business over here. Why Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the Fish Flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds. And the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present day Vancouver and Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fish flight Entertainment dot com